You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, good afternoon, peace be upon you, and welcome to another episode of the Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam at the end of the week. And what a week it has been! After more than 50 ministerial resignations from the Conservative members of Parliament in less than three days, Prime Minister Boris Johnson had to resign as party leader and as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. However, as you know, he will continue as an interim Prime Minister until a new Conservative party leader is elected. And there's a bunch of names that have popped up. There's a bunch of names that are being discussed who could potentially take over this role and who could potentially become the new Prime Minister of the UK. From the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic to the numerous scandals, more and more Conservative MPs and government cabinet ministers lost faith and confidence in the Prime Minister. Now, he is the first Prime Minister to have faced more than 30 resignations from ministers on a single day. One day, it started off with Rishi Sunak, it started off with Sajid Javid, and then the ball just kept rolling. In the Holy Quran, we find in chapter 4, verse 59, and this is probably a verse that you have come across many times here on the Draft Time Show and on the Voice of Islam. Uh, God Almighty states that verily Allah commands you to make over the trusts to those entitled to them, and that when you judge between men, you judge with justice. And surely excellent is that with which Allah admonishes you. Allah is all hearing and all seeing. And then the promised Messiah of the uh, of the current age, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he said that do not devour each other's substance through deceit and falsehood, nor offer your wealth as a bribe to the authorities that you may deliberately acquire a part of other people's wealth through injustice. Many things have been you know, mentioned in the past 24, 48, well, let's say 72 hours, that could have been the reason that could led that could have led to the the you know the situation that we are at the moment in and um many many more commentaries are just um following and they're ongoing but as we know what we have to focus on is what is best for the united kingdom what is best for the country what is the way forward how do we come out of this and how much damage has been done that can be um, corrected, that can be um, solved um, and who is the man or the woman for the job. 0208687-7878 is the number for you to call if you want to have your say and there's a lot of people that have an opinion on this. And as always, you can also send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK and you can also get in contact uh, with us over uh, Instagram. Now, in the UK, government consists of the Prime Minister, their cabinet and junior ministers supported by the teams of non-political civil servants that work in government departments. The government are the people responsible for running the country, and the political party that wins the most seats at a general election automatically then uh, takes charge of the government for five years until the next general election. 
I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I don't recall any general election. And I've been here since 2000 and what, 10? Maybe there was one. I'm not even sure. But um, the last two to three after David Cameron, the, the prime ministers that have been put in charge of the country were under maybe not similar. I wouldn't say similar circumstances, but it wasn't a regular takeover of the government. It wasn't an elected government as it should be with a general election. But it's it's been it's been a very very a difficult time, and it's been a roller coaster. If I don't think there's any word that could describe that, but I'm sure. Uh, in this time, uh, as I said, we are looking forward. What needs to be done? Who can take over, or who can uh, you know take over the bat- the baton? Who can lead us through these very difficult times that we are in the moment? Um, the leader of the winning party, as I said, and just very briefly to 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 you know, to talk about the role of the government, is then appointed as prime minister and chooses other party members to work in the government with them, as we know, cabinet ministers and junior ministers. The government is then responsible for deciding how the country is run and for managing things day to day. They set taxes, choose what to spend public money on and, and decide how to best deliver public services. And as we know, some of the major issues here in the UK, you have the NHS, you have the police and armed for- forces, you have the, 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 the welfare benefits like the state pension. And of course, something that a lot of people are worried about at the moment, the UK's energy supply. With all the things that are happening in the world, we've just come out of the pandemic and then you have the Ukraine conflict. Um, you have the the fear of maybe a looming third world war. God forbid, God forbid that it comes to 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 that point. But in all of this, the general public, the average Joe on the street, is asking, "What will happen?" And that's this question we're going to ask some of our guests that we have invited for today. Our first guest for today is a writer and a journalist. Matt Carr is with us on the line. Matt, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Good afternoon. Now, Matt, um, a lot of things have been said that this was the reason why the Prime Minister had to resign. This was the reason why the ministers left. This was the reason why his cabinet fell apart. Why do you think that the latest allegation about the Prime Minister's knowledge about you know, the Pincher, uh, Mr. Pincher was that turning point and you know, that final strike, that the end of Boris Johnson's career as, as, as the PM? Um, his career isn't quite over yet. I think we should bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as prime minister, as party leader, but yes, um, I guess the, um, the the obvious reason, the obvious explanation would be the by-elections and the fact that polls keep showing that Johnson is no longer a vote winner for the Tory party that they thought he was. Possibly that was exaggerated. The um, the common touch that he had. Nevertheless, lots of Tories believed it for a long time, hmm. and so I think. That is one thing that a lot of the people who withdrew from his cabinet and from his from ministerial post realized or believed that it was no longer in their interest to be associated with him. So the by-elections were crucial. And then there's the, the brazenness with which the Pincher um, case was handled. You know, the fact he was actually sending people out on mm. telly to speak, to say things that he knew wasn't true and that his advisors in Downing Street knew weren't true. So... 
this has become so brazen and so blatant that it kind of um, very quickly created a snowball effect. So I guess that, that is the main reason why. I mean, bearing in mind that for a long time, many of the people who have now resigned and called on him to resign, some of them are actually taking up positions in his cabinet again. And many of them knew that he was lying for a long time before this. So it's not like this is new. It's not like some new scandal has come up that suddenly revealed. Mm. There's more that this latest scandal has confirmed things to the point, as Sajid Javid said, of no return. Mm. And having said that, do you think that, um, you know, as you mentioned, that on, 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 on his behalf, they went out to the media, to the public, defending some of the decisions, um, speaking in favor of the prime minister, and now that they've stood up, and, you know, you could say did the right thing, the right thing to do, do you think that they deserve any credit for standing up? Um, not a great deal, in my opinion. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I don't want to, I can't speak for all of them. You sure. Know, and they all have their own motivations, for sure. And, you know, on the charitable side, some of them may have thought, okay, we just have to put up with Johnson's personality because otherwise the government, the business of government mm. couldn't unfold. Um, nevertheless, they were aware again and again of um, egregious um, breaches of trust that he was responsible for, and also ways that he'd actually manipulated them, not only to work the, way, the extent to which they, he manipulated the public. So, um, yeah, I guess, that, you know, and this touches on your previous question as well, one of the reasons why these people may have reached the um, conclusions that they did, partly because their own careers hmm. um, no longer benefit from association with Johnson, bearing in mind, especially like in some of the red wall seats and even in some of the Tory blue shires, the, the by-elections have shown that even big majorities that the Tory party once had can be overthrown. And a lot of them are hanging on by a lot less than that. There are red wall MPs with majorities of like 1,000 or 2,000. Those mm. could easily be overthrown. So I think um, on balance, they don't get a lot of credit because they have actually, in a way, colluded with the most dishonest Prime Minister, probably in British history. I can't think of anyone that has um, outdone what Johnson has done. Hmm. Now, coming to the way in which he resigned yesterday, that has also been critiqued, especially with the announcement of wedding plans as well. What is, I mean, it comes back maybe to the same point, but what does that tell us about how Boris sees his own legacy? And, I mean, the way it was announced, uh, again, um, when I watched that announcement, it didn't seem like somebody was shaken by that that much. Or was that just me? No, I don't think, I don't think it was just you. I mean, lots of people have made those similar observations. I mean, I think one thing worth bringing into this discussion is the fact that we have had prime ministers and politicians who have lied before hmm. or not told the truth or been economical with the truth, as yeah. that old phrase used to put it. You can look at the Iraq war, for example. Yeah. You know, um, but the thing about Johnson, what makes him different is he's lied about political things. Um, he's lied about Brexit, for example. But what's actually brought him down, and this is really unprecedented, is most of his lies are are revolve around things that he personally did and didn't need to do. Hmm. So in other words, he didn't just lie to get something done. Um, he, he, he lied because he himself is a dishonest, chaotic and arrogant personality who seems to believe that he doesn't have to obey the rules that other people have to follow. And so in yesterday's resignation statement, it was actually really rather graceless. Um, there was no real contrition in it. He described the decision of his own party um, as eccentric. 
he mm. compared his former colleagues to a herd. Herd, yeah. I, you know, this is, um, I don't know how these people can actually put up with this kind of thing because he's actually <laughs> insulting them in the very moment when he um, kind of acts as though he's um, adhering to their will. You know, so this is extraordinary behavior on one level, but on the other hand, it's not that extraordinary because this is mm. the way he's been for a long time. And, and it must be pointed out long before he became prime minister. Yeah. This was known, you know, but his party saw him as an asset for a long time. And mm. for a while, that seemed to be true. And now it isn't. Yeah, no, I know. I, I can echo what you just said. If if you look on social media nowadays, there's, there's, there's you know, these short clips about basically a quick run through his entire career um, when he started off uh, as editor, when he was still in Eton College and the things that he said all the way leading up to being the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And, and some people, you know, if you ask people on the streets, they would say that he was he was, you know, actually a breath of fresh air because he was outspoken, because the things that he did, because the things that he stood up for, whatever those might be. Um, how much of that do you agree and what kind of legacy does does he leave behind? And then especially for the next prime minister, whoever that might be, what's what what are some of the things that they have to pick up first? That's a foremost? very interesting question, really. Um, you know, I mean, it's a very interesting question because I always think, and I've said this from various times before, that the problem with Johnson is not just his personality. The problem is the institutions that allowed him to get away with being the mm. kind of person that he has been. I mean, in a way, you almost, British politics for a long time, especially kind of at the parliamentary level, operates almost according to this gentleman's club rules, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's not necessarily, things aren't necessarily written down, just assume that, you know, it's like cricket. You know, we, um, <laughs> we obey the umpire, we, um, we observe rules of fair play and so on. But when someone comes along who doesn't do that, and has no intention of doing that, and actually changes the rules if mm. it suits him to change them, or if those rules might somehow indict him or one of his friends or colleagues and so on, then our institutions have been quite weak. Um, you know, it's extraordinary now that we've actually had to depend on essentially the self-interest of the parliamentary Tory party to get him out, when there's so many other reasons he could have been got out. Mm. So whoever takes over from him is going to have to address that, you know. And... Um, on one level, it's, on one level, yes, whoever takes over from him will have to be a different kind of person behaving in a more honest way. Mm. Keir Starmer has presented himself as that kind of person. I'm sure he is. His broader politics are another matter, but I don't doubt that he has more integrity than Johnson. But anyway, in the interim, it's not going to be Keir Starmer. It may never be him because he may not win. But whichever Tory takes over from him has the problem of many of the contenders for leadership are former associates of him. So mm. therefore, they bear some of the complicity. They were involved in his dishonesty. Some of them covered for him, even when they knew he was being dishonest. So there, all these things need to be addressed. But you have a general, a more wider question of what happens. What will we do about the weaknesses in these institutions? How can we regain a, rep- a reputation for integrity, honesty, and probity nationally and also internationally, hmm. given that Johnson has so frequently traduced it? That's a, that is a huge problem for yeah. whoever takes it over. But I would say one, one important thing is, you know, we've, there's a tendency to be cynical about politicians and say, ah, oh, they're all the same. And that's why Johnson was able to present himself as a breath of fresh air. Mm. Bearing in mind it was a manufactured image of the kind of maverick, oddball character, the upper-class eccentric, you know, with his ruffled hair and his (laughs) jokes and his little bits of Latin and so on. But it was manufactured. 
Um, and he appealed to a, a, what I consider a weakness in British culture for this kind of, I don't know, Ken Dodd, funny man type thing, the cheeky chappy who seems mm. to be outside. But actually, Johnson is a very right-wing politician, and his agenda proves it. Um, what he's been doing in recent months, I don't know, deporting people to Rwanda. Yeah. This isn't the kind of thing that some maverick clown does. This is a very right-wing agenda that he's been pursuing. Whether he actually believes it or not, or he's just doing it for his own self-interest, who can tell? But that's what he's been doing. So he's not just a breath of fresh air. He's a breath of toxic air, hmm. in my opinion. And he's actually quite dangerous. Hmm. Uh, Matt, I want to ask you, lastly, there. Um, this is probably something that people are, are are wondering: what what is going to happen now? Is there any change going to happen as far as the daily running of the government or the country is concerned? I don't think the country will fall apart in um, Johnson's absence. And as I was saying before, he yeah. isn't absent. I mean, he's basically been picking a new cabinet um, and still appointing people. It's a bizarre situation. I mean, nothing like this has ever happened before in British politics. Fifty odd people resigning, and then some of them getting their jobs back <laughs> the next day. And one of them, one of them got a job. Um, Zahawi got a job. He promoted to <laughs> Chancellor, and then he resigned. And he was supporting um, Johnson in Parliament. Yet by the afternoon, he'd resigned. I mean, this is bizarre stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Benny Hill stuff, really. So um, I don't think the country will fall apart. But as you were saying in your introduction, you know, there are serious problems that we face in this country very serious problems and that was sometimes used as an argument to keep Johnson in place when in fact you could use it as an argument for him not being in place because mm. if these problems are that serious do you want a dangerous self-aggrandizing clown in power probably not so uh, it's difficult to know at this point what can happen you've got about 10 12 people competing now just beginning to prepare their campaigns it's difficult to know which way the Tory... It's, it's a bizarre situation again because it's the Tory party or possibly even the parliamentary Tory party mm. choosing the next prime minister again. Um, and so it's difficult to know which way they will go. But, um, you know, I don't see... Their best hope, perhaps, or put it this way, our best hope as a country, looking outside the interests of the Tory party, would be to have one, one of the le more honest and um, kind of less uh, problematic people in place but i don't like tom tuganhat possibly um but i don't know if he can win inside the party um whoever takes over is going to have an enormous um kind of yeah. leap to make in order to regain the trust of the public as we navigate our way through these very difficult times no i i couldn't agree with you more when you when you said that it's not the, probably the, the 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 problem of the tory party it's 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 our problem it's 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 a difficulty that we are facing as a nation as a country uh, let's hope and pray that the best comes out of it matt carr writer Absolutely. and journalist thank you very much for your time sir great to talk thank to you for you. having me thank you Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call, and you've just heard what Matt was saying. The no, the numerous the numerous issues that we are facing at the moment, and apart from that, the country is not going to fall apart. This is probably that you've you've heard on 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 other outlets as well. Um, thank God, because of the structure of the the the. the the government and the structure of the country that we have it's a solid structure which uh, and and something that you know Boris Johnson also mentioned uh, that the role of a prime minister is not indispensable his role is not indispensable now the resignation of 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 Boris Johnson and the ministerial res resignations that led to it show signs of severe 
political instability and lack of trust in leadership, something that Matt also echoed. It will take time before that trust and confidence is restored. Now, the role of the next conservative leader and subsequently the prime minister is therefore very, very crucial. Beyond this, other issues affecting the UK include the cost of living crisis, the rise of fuel prices and the increased uptake of support from food banks because of rising poverty. I was, I think, on the day that uh, Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid announced their resignation and got the ball rolling, basically. I was, I think, College Green, just nearby Trafalgar Square, and the amount of homeless feeding organizations that you will see in central London now compared to a couple of years ago is is it's gone up massively and it's not just there it's in so many different places that I have observed this myself while a couple of years ago it wasn't the case because of the situation that we are at the moment you have the inflation which is at a new time a new all-time high and after the effects of, of, of the Russia-Ukraine war and the pandemic the fears of global food and energy crisis are more than ever in front of people's eyes what needs to be done how can we take this up and how much of that can we recover can we do something about this and, and first and foremost who is the man or the woman as I said to do that. Here with us to talk a little bit more about this is our next guest for today. She's the deputy leader of the Medway Labour and Cooperative Group. Uh, Teresa Murray is with us on the line. Teresa, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Good afternoon. Uh, peace be upon you too and thank you very much for inviting me on. Great to have you on. Now, um, <clears throat> if I can ask you, what are your thoughts on the way the current government has conducted itself in the last few days with the resignations, the sackings and allegations. I know that being from a a different political party right now, um, there might be, I'm not sure, I'm just guessing here and and, and do forgive me if I make the wrong uh, assumptions here, but there might be a lot of people quite happy um, that it has come to this. But should we be happy about the way this has you know, f- f- developed and 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 what's your thought on this? Well, I think being happy about it is just an easy and, if I may say so, rather fatuous way yeah. out of it. I don't take any pleasure in what's happened Good, yeah. because it's been a very bad thing for our country. Our reputation in the yes. world has been trashed. You know, but bad behaviour comes from the top. Leadership is about showing the way and I'm afraid in the last few days and in the months and years before that Boris Johnson has not been the kind of leader that our country can be proud of mm. but I don't take any pleasure in, in what's happened and I felt very sad actually yeah. but particularly yesterday you know I've had a, a long career in further and higher education at, at, at a senior level and Yesterday, there was no elected member or a secretary of state in the Department of Education. Mm. That is completely wrong. Mm. There are lots and lots of things, as you said in your introduction, that need to be happening for the people in our country. And I'm afraid that this government at the moment are not delivering those things. 
Now, with the ministerial code, it's supposed to maintain standards. A lot of people are. There's commentaries happening. I think in the next couple of days, we will hear many, many more of these. But the question about why did it fail to stop the scandals the current government has faced? Where did it go wrong? Where should have, could have? Um, could could we have done something, or or or, or those oh, those in charge? I'm afraid this is a government with a prime minister who's a rule breaker. Hmm. The ministerial code was there; he chose to ignore it. In fact, in the last few weeks, he's even tried to change it to suit his own purposes. He attempted to change it when he wanted to save his friend Owen Patterson from scandal. Hmm. You know that this. This way of behaving is actually unusual. I haven't in my lifetime seen this type of behavior at government level before. And it's completely uh, unacceptable. But I think, I'm afraid, everybody in the Conservative Parliamentary Party and indeed some people in the electorate have to take responsibility for this too because Boris Johnson has a reputation as somebody who told lies, who'd been sacked from jobs, before he ever came into politics, hmm. he, he hasn't changed. And in the last few days, he asked whether he was prepared to change. He, he always said no. Yeah. He's a rather conceited and sort of deluded man. He, he, he doesn't want to change. And he believed he could, he could get away with things. But at any point in, in at least the last year, and, and sometimes pr- prior to that, People in the Conservative Party could have asked him to leave and stopped his behaviour, but but they chose not to. Hmm. Now, on this last occasion, there was a very real victim of of, of sexual assault. Perhaps that's what um, changed people's minds. Perhaps it felt like the last straw. But it actually isn't much different to to ways that he'd behaved all along, having parties when all of us were staying away from our families, trying to bend the rules to suit his own purposes, getting other people to pay for things for him. I mean, we've heard today, haven't we? But he'd already arranged and invited people to a wedding party at Chequers. Now, now that's not what Chequers is for. It's the Prime Minister's country retreat, but you're not supposed to use it for your own purposes Mm. to to, to have a family party. It's supposed to be a country home for the Prime Minister and their family when they're not at Westminster and used for meetings and things. And yet he's already sent invitations out. Okay, he's mm. said now he's not going to do it. But this is a sort of freeloading. <laughs> that, that, I, I had, I had, this was a question that I asked Matt before we took you on, that in, in all of this, it doesn't seem to me that any lessons have been learned. Or am I, <laughs> am I wrong in assuming this? No, because he doesn't want to... You, that was quite clear in his speech. Hmm. He wasn't taking responsibility for things that had gone wrong. He was just blaming other people for, for getting rid of him. Yeah. I, I really, you know, my own view is that his, his personality, his, his sort of psychological profile is a, an unusual and quite strange one. You know, he, he never shows any contrition. He doesn't show empathy for how other people might feel. And, and that was his track record. You know, people have said in the past, oh, he's a bit of a laugh, whatever. I've never found anything that he had to say funny. But but I've never before, as a Labour Party member and activist, 
felt ashamed on a world scale mm. of our leader, even, yeah. even when our leaders have been conservative. They have performed appropriately on a world stage. He hasn't. Mm. So w- when it comes to trying to negotiate things, when it comes to trying to present our country as somewhere that is a, a, a good place to trade with, to do business with, he hasn't got an appropriate reputation. So to that extent, I'm glad to see him gone. But there were many times when people in power had the opportunity to act against him and they chose not to, which of course is why he's gone as far as he has. Because nobody nobody stopped him in his tracks. On on this note, Teresa, I want to ask you, how important do you think are integrity and values in politics on one side or... Is it is it about getting the job done, simply put? Well, there's no reason why you can't get a job done yeah. with and integrity. Yeah. <laughs> that the yeah. two things, to me, go go hand in hand. I mean, you know, a good example of how this government have not done that is is actually some of the things that happened during the pandemic. Yeah. They far from being treated as a national emergency by some of the people in the Tory Party. We're seeing emerging now, for some people, it was a gold rush. Their friends were given contracts without the usual tests and protections. People uh, produced things that were not needed. Government money has been wasted. They behaved as if it was an opportunity for them rather than a national emergency. Now, that isn't working with integrity. Hmm. It is possible to work with integrity. And actually, the whole of the health service Many volunteers, and uh, uh, and I was one of them, and so were lots of my Labour colleagues, volunteered for the vaccination programme. The British people themselves turned up for it, encouraged each other. As a nation, we helped that to happen yeah. and, and did it with integrity, and, and it was a good thing. But, you know, little did we know at the time that there were people in government who saw it as a gold rush, making money hmm. out of what was a situation where, you know, over 200,000 people in this country lost their lives, many of them prematurely. Uh, uh, and their families often couldn't be by their side to, to, to say goodbye to them. And someone so, running the country must be aware of these things, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. How many times can so, you say that, no, I didn't know about this, I didn't know about this? As you mentioned, it's, it's not just one or two cases, we have multiple cases like that. Mm. No, that's right. A, you know, it, it, it's a, they have not been telling the truth. Yeah. So if I want anything from a new Conservative Party leader, of course I would much rather see Labour running the country, but as things stand, they're going to have a, a leadership election. Mm. At the very least, I want somebody who's prepared to tell the truth, you know, at the very least. Yeah, and the way it should be, rightly. Despite what Theresa, the news highlights, most MPs, we have to admit, do a sterling job of serving their constituents. I want to ask you, how can, and and as, as we said, this is not just a problem for uh, for 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 the conservatives, this is not something that they have to deal with, or that affects only the conservative party. This is something that has an impact on the whole of the UK. We as citizens, members of this country, on an international as well as on a national stage, on a local level as well as on a national level, how or what can be done? What needs to be done to get that trust back in people who might have been? You know, served by the latest events. I'm, I'm ask, I'm specifically thinking about the younger generation who are already, you know, 
predisp- uh, have have this notion that politics equals you know saying yeah, I mean, saying, if, if saying people, people, speaking lies and not being yeah. in, having any integrity if people feel like that then i'm very very sorry to hear it and i would reach out to them to say not everybody is like that and hand yeah. on my heart as someone who's been in local politics but for 20 years i've never done anything wrong and i've always been honest and i know hundreds and hundreds of politicians yes. who are like that and and do things for the good of the people they represent because we're standing on the shoulders of giants who have achieved really good things uh, over the years and, and we can absolutely do that again and you can only win trust by your actions hmm. by keeping to the rules being honest about things and i think for younger people you know one of the things that we need to do and we need to do it together and openly and the government need to do it as well is join up the dots hmm. every time Boris Johnson was involved in a scandal. The value of the pound went down. Yeah. Every time the value of the pound went down, the price of oil goes up. Mm. Because the, 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 the kind of behavior and standards and operation of government have a direct impact on the, on the stock exchange, on the monetary exchanges, and on the price of things. And, and we're at a time, and you know, forgive me, it, if you have a look at the candidates, that are standing up now hmm. for the Tory party. Let's look at Rishi Sunak first. He and his wife together are worth 730 million. Nadim Zouali is worth 100 million hmm. with a huge property portfolio. You know, I suggest to you, these are not people who are in a position to empathize or care about the many people who are really scared about what's going to yeah. happen to their family income during the winter yeah. with the price of household fuel rising and inflation running at 11%. You know, these are, these are not people who have suffered those kinds of struggles in their lives. And as such, that it doesn't get onto their radar how, how difficult it is. You know, some of the measures that Rishi Sunak has taken, for example, but putting a little bit of money into households, people on prepayment, electric meters it's still not known well how will they get the money when it comes yeah, because yeah. they haven't got an electricity bill to have it refunded to maybe they'll get a voucher maybe it will go on the meter those people who are watching their electricity now upwards of 10 pounds per day mm. or, or, on a low income don't even know how they're going to get the little bit of help that's on offer he, he hasn't acted to take vat off mm. uh, road fuel he hasn't acted to take VAT off things in the shop. He hasn't put in a proper uh, structure for, for the windfall tax to pay back into our economy or, or, or measures to make the energy companies invest in green, in green energy because he's worshipping at the altar of money. Someone in his position, that's, what he's, you know, that's he's married into money. He's he's got a very wealthy family himself. Hmm. You know, th- these are not the type of people that I want to see in government. They're not the type of people who have run a business really, hmm. or who, who who understand the struggles, the way that the way that you and I and your listeners yes. are, str- are are struggling. You know, working really hard for your families with honour, 
to make sure that people get the things that they need. But those type of people actually are not even now in the running yeah. um, for the Conservative Party leadership. Whereas I think Keir Starmer is a, a, a real person capable of empathising. His mum was a nurse, his dad was a factory toolmaker, he went to an ordinary school, his parents wanted him to do well, and he did do well. But he understands how that has to happen, and he wants that for other people in in the country, I think. And that's the essential difference between, you know, the Conservatives and Labour. We want everybody to do well, and for people who need a hand up, we're prepared to help them. Mm. On um, on this note, Teresa, if you if you don't mind me asking, sorry to cut you off there. Sure. Uh, speaking no about 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 the Labour leadership, um, it it will be as we know from the Conservatives. I mean, the the leader will be chosen from from that party. But in that process, or let's say, assume to the next general election, what role or what? What ha- what what need what, what what does the opposition need to do? Is there anything that they can do to keep a closer look, to keep a closer eye? Do you think um, that that the, the opposition could have done something maybe here? Because that's also a question that people people are asking. Well, we have tried in in Parliament to to, to do lots of things, and in fairness, actually, some of those have been successful. I mean, proposing mm. the windfall tax was rejected, but actually, eventually, Rishi Sunak did it because there was no choice. You know, that's another thing that's been lacking: the ability to have a bit of humility and work together. Yeah. Look, locally here in Medway during the pandemic, my colleague Vince Maple and I made uh, as soon as we saw how serious the situation was, we made a direct approach to the Conservative leader of Medway Council, and we said, can we work together? Let's have a weekly meeting with the senior officers of the council. Let's assess the situation on a week-by-week basis, feed things in, help the council workers do what they needed to do, see how we're going to arrange some of the finances that are coming from, from government. And actually... It was us that made the approach, us that had the idea, and it did work. We did work together, and there are occasions, particularly in a national emergency, when it's important to do that. You could put together a parliamentary committee across parties to deal with the cost of living crisis. That would be possible. That's happened in times of crisis and war before, but I honestly think at the moment we've got a bunch of Conservatives who are too self-obsessed and too arrogant to make that happen, but it doesn't stop us pushing coming forward with ideas, speaking to businesses, speaking to hmm. wealth creators, to, to, to encourage them for a time when there can be a, a, a Labour government again. Lastly, there, Trubisa, I want to ask you, irrespectively of which party you belong to, as you mentioned, the th- this disconnect that we have between the elite and, and the leadership of the country and, you know, the average family that is thinking about the the the, the winter that is coming up mm-hmm. that is thinking do i do i go to the petrol station should i take public transport should i just walk it should i buy a bike mm-hmm. i mean apart from 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 the party aspect what would you like the the public to know what would you like the people to know in this time specifically any concerns that they have i'm sure they've come to you as well your constituents Uh, more more, more than ever first of all i I want them to know that labor cares about them and wants to do anything that we can on an individual basis i I will always help people who are in trouble try to signpost them to 
sources of help, intervene if there's something like a, a benefit appeal. But, you know, the things that could happen, we could make changes to VAT that, that would help people and we could do that quickly. We could increase social benefits hmm. so that the most vulnerable people, particularly disabled people who, by the way, have lost £38 per week under the Tories in the last 12 years. So that's people who, you know, are too poorly to work. That's the amount of money that they have actually lost. We could restore some of those things to, to, to actually really level up. Because levelling up is just a concept to the Conservatives. Levelling up actually means taking action to make sure that people are in an equal position to make the best of things. We could offer, as they're doing in some countries, this is happening in Germany, it's also happening in Italy, put subsidised rail and bus fares mm. so that people don't have to use their, their, their cars and that will help the, in, that would help the environment as well. You know, there are measures that you can take, albeit short or medium term measures, to get people over this rough time and then in the meantime... Think about how we're going to invest in the economy and grow it again. We're right at the bottom of the G7 now. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's hope and pray, as we said, um, for the best of for the country that we are, um, uh, c- that we come out of this um, mm. stronger and better and more with more integrity, with more honesty in mm. the next leadership. Teresa, yeah, thank you are, so much. Yeah, these are the, if I can just say, these are the good wishes we can give each other. Of course. That there's a lot of talented, hardworking people here. And, and, you know, can I say, one of the things we hardly ever say about ourselves Mm. is that the UK has got one of the best reputations in the world for people coming here from many lands over thousands of years, making a success of their lives. Yes. We're actually good at that. Uh, And if we can do that, there's lots of other things that we we can do that make things better. So it's about encouraging each other, remaining optimistic and putting in practical measures to help things along. I, I like that. Remaining optimistic. Deputy Leader of the Medway Labour and Cooperative Group, Teresa Murray, with us on the line. Teresa, thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely uh, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so thank much you. once I've again. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. 0208687 is the number for you to call. What do you think about the current situation? How do you think can we come out of this? And what needs to be done? What do you want to see in the next leadership and do you think there there is any hope that anything can change as far as muslims are concerned we have been given golden principles by the holy prophet by the holy quran and by the example of the prophet and his followers his successors the khulafa the caliphs as well as the companions of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him now islam does not provide a preference to one form of government over another it lays down detailed instructions on how a government should govern its subjects the primary responsibility of course is to provide services that are uniquely suitable for the state and these services include of course military of course health law and order and justice But in terms of the Islamic economic system, the primary directive is to provide for good governance, which leads to the society's well-being at large, not just one group, not just one party, and not just one 
um, specific group within society. And that's why the Islamic economic system promotes a, a capitalistic model which is community-centric and not individualistic. Something that, you know, Brother Daniel, you've mentioned, I think, a couple of weeks ago is the 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 rise in the billionaires the the number of billionaires that have we have seen in the last two and a half years what, what was that stat? yeah absolutely so uh, over the um over the last two years of the pandemic the the number of billionaires that have actually um uh, new billionaires mm. that have actually been created as a result of the pandemic throughout the world is is 10% higher than um uh, sorry um uh, let, let me let me uh, let me retract and let me start again <laughs> so the number of billionaires that have been created in the last 2 years across the world um is more than the number of billionaires created in the last 10 years altogether yeah Yeah. that that tells you a little bit of what we are facing at the moment our next guest for today let's quickly go to dr jennifer cassidy uh she's a diplomatic scholar uh, at the university of oxford Uh, good afternoon peace upon you and welcome to the draft i'm sure dr cassidy Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining us today. Though Boris Johnson has been criticized strongly, many have defended, and I've heard this myself, believe me or not, him suggesting that given the circumstances, he did the best he could do. He delivered. Do you think that this is a fair defense or or just another excuse? Mm, Well, I wouldn't say it's a defense or an excuse. I would say it is a narrative perpetuated by those who, if you look at those defending him, those who are defending him are the ones who have also actively engaged in national and international law-breaking. They've engaged in party scandals. <laughs> They've engaged in, I'm talking about those, of course, the ministers. Yeah. Um, and, and backbenchers, um, they've been um, engaged in, in in almost all the political carnage that um, they're defending him for, and let alone have they also, they're defending him for this. He himself has been engaged in everything I have just mentioned. Yeah. So it's not a defense or an excuse, it's just the perpetuation of a narrative that he did the best he could, but he essentially did nothing but cause... Uh, you know, global reputation damage of, of the United Kingdom, break international law, and um, cause a political scandal after a political scandal. Now, uh, if you if we go back to the last general election, Bre- Brexit was w- mm. one of the main campaign focuses for the political parties. Although I, I I don't know how we can still think of it as a voter concern, but I still want to ask you, do you think that it is? Because I have heard it in the last 48 hours over and over again. And if it's yes, not, so what, exactly, what what may be? Yes, yeah, so you're exactly right. In, and, and I would agree in saying in the last 48 hours, you know, we've heard this, uh, this the, the, the B word come up again. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but... Um, that's because you know he's trying to instill it as his leg his legacy that Brexit was delivered, but essentially it, it, it was not. Um, but whether it, of course, as you as you rightly noted, it was the major concern. Get Brexit done was the campaign mm. slogan for the last general election. That's what he won his mandate on. Now I 
do not think that uh, Brexit as the exact B word itself <laughs> will be the uh, primary uh, focus. But actually, the, if, if you just look at what is going to be the primary focus, it's actually going to be the effects of Brexit, whether we're calling a Brexit or not, you know, is a different story. But, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, trade deals, we're looking at rising prices, we're looking at rising prices, we're looking at um, a lack of credibility abroad, lack of supplies, uh, food supplies, lack of uh, suppliers, all leading to rising, um, you know, uh, rising, uh, excuse me, the living, uh, the cost of living crisis. Yeah. And yes, of course, you know, I am not, no one is in any way naive to suggest uh, the variables of the pandemic and uh, the war in Ukraine are, of course, major players in this. But there is no doubt that even without those two major events, which, you know, I'm not denying were, you know, had colossal damage to every country around the world, um, all those consequences that I mentioned uh, were created, but they were by Brexit, but they're being exasperated by these global events. So we're going to see you know, the, the cost of living crisis, fuel crisis, the supply shortage, they're all going to be the major issues of the next general election. But there are consequences of Brexit. But I don't think we're going to see the word Brexit unless unless you're in Northern Ireland, um, you know, campaigning. I think people are ready to, whether you remain or leave, people are ready to just stop this, you know, <laughs> leave, leave that um, fight um and actually concentrate on actually getting objectives achieved um, and, and relationships restored with be it the European Union or other global partners uh, abroad in order for the, to increase standard of living in everyday, uh, and the everyday lives of, of UK citizens. Dr. Cassidy, I was uh, looking at some stats last night and um, uh, I discovered that the last British Prime Minister who entered and left Downing Street through a general election <laughs> was Edward Heath back in 1974. Mm-hmm. So, um, so his term uh, was from 1970 to 1974. And since 1974, we haven't had a single British Prime Minister who's entered and left Downing Street through a general election. Yeah. What does that tell us about the state of British politics? Well, I, I wouldn't be. I've been very harsh on British politics. I think in the last just even five minutes, so <laughs> I, 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 I won't, I won't be too harsh on it in, in this respect. I think it is more of a consequence of the, um, you know, the parliamentary system and the constitutional monarchy in which the UK is governed and uh, ruled and, and, and produced by. I think it's very difficult for a prime minister to stay in power under under the how under the current setup of, of you know a constitutional monarchy um, from jet from general election to general election because uh, so there's a number of reasons Is, but isn't that the mandate re- though i mean a lot uh, of- well a man a mandate but a mandate would be a president this is what we, this is what the 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 whole issue was with boris johnson he kept saying mandate and i you know i joked yesterday saying if i hear the word mandate once more i'm going to lose it you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, and here you are again hearing it on radio losing it on radio i didn't realize i'd lose it on radio but um i'm only joking um but if i hear like a mandate is what a presidential system uh, a president gets like in the u.s 
mm. so that people vote for the, for the president for the president that's a mandate but the mandate in in uh the in the in the uk system is the mandate for the conservative party so the conservative party and by and by default then it's their leader but the conservative party has to have faith in their leader and must back their leader and have full confidence that's why we have votes of no confidence in order for quote unquote that mandate to still be um in power and and if that doesn't work then then the the prime minister is out, so he did not get a mandate. He was not like elected by the by the people. His party was elected, and he happened to be a member of that party. And then his party elected him as leader. Okay, I, I, it, let's let's stay with that argument. Although, although I I, yeah, I might yeah. disagree with that a little bit because you know the the person leading the campaign is actually. Um, you know he gets uh, both the the credit as uh, well as uh, the discredit for for losing a campaign as oh, did uh, yeah, as as a Jer- jeremy corbyn who who had to actually resign <clears throat> and i and i would and i and and this is whether i agree with this or not hmm. that whether i whether i agree with that you know if you're the leader of the party of the campaign and if you lose if you lose then you know like i said jeremy corbyn you resign if you win you, you stay on whether I agree with this or not. That's not how how the UK parliamentary or any parliamentary system works around the world. A presidential system, yes. That's it's not it's not my opinion on it. It's just how it works. If it, the one day the UK wishes to change this, they can. Hmm. But that is just the outcome. That's not an, an, an opinion of 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 mine regarding you know whether i think someone who got such a huge mandate as Boris johnson as we we're constantly told did in the last general election should have the legitimacy to stay on you know that's a different conversation the conversation is this is just how the parliamentary system is run and has functioned and hence the stats of you know edward being the last one to to survive um Dr. Uh, Cassidy, I, w- I want to ask you if, if it's okay with you. Uh, we have to go yep. to the news in just uh, around 60 seconds. Um, but there's a few more questions that, that I have for you, that we have for you, if it's okay to, to, to just you know, put you on hold for two minutes and then we're going to get you back uh, after the news. I like one of the tweets that you said that Larry the Cat has now outlasted the last three British Prime Ministers and the 1922 committee should alter rules to see Larry as caretaker Prime Minister until October. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Alright, Dr. Dr. Cassidy, um, we'll, we'll be back with you after the news. You're listening to the Draft Time Show here on The Voice of Islam today with myself, Reza and Daniel. We're talking about the government and leadership, not just specifically what has happened here right now, but what needs to be done? How is the country doing? What needs to happen in the future for the next uh, leader to to change that whole atmosphere that has been created in the last couple of years? It's not just about things done, being getting things done, but it's also the integrity, the message, the legacy that is left behind by our political elite. And we're going to go to the news and then we'll be back after that. Stay with us. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. 
and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Thank you very much for joining us today and welcome back to the Draft Home Show here on The Voice of Islam today with myself, Raza, and Daniel. We are asking you on our Instagram poll, uh, what is your view on the current political situation in the UK? What are you most worried about? Are you surprised how things unfolded in the last 72 hours or more or less? Uh, still with us on the line, we have our guest... <coughs> That we've been talking to about, um, you know, what has transpired in the last couple of hours. Dr. Jennifer Cassidy, who's a diplomatic scholar at the University of Oxford, is with us in line. Dr. Cassidy, welcome back and thank you very much for staying with us today. I want to ask you next about the media narrative around the current government. How has that impacted its current state? Has it been overly or underly critical? What's your observation? Well, I think the. Um well, the, the current me, um, media narrative, uh, when, I'm, when I say current, I, I kind of refer to even just the last 12 months, not just the last uh, week or so. Mm. Um, I think we would all agree that it's extremely, extremely polarized. You know, whether you're watching, quote unquote, left, um, you know, media, quote unquote, mm. right media, uh, there seems to be no middle ground and, and this is actually my area of you know expertise and research it, it's disinformation from uh, cyber warfare and um and, and and propaganda on on through use of social media and so and so one of the the main things we've seen and, and i think what is what has led to such vehement polarization even within society is the polarization of, of of the media and the lack of of, of middle ground. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's and this is no, nothing unique to the UK, of course, um, but it has completely impacted the the current state. And you, one of my my you know all time favorite quotes is from Hannah Arendt, who's the um, she's the author of. A, she was a political philosopher. She's the author of The Origins of Totalitarianism. And she wrote this in 1951 when she fled uh, Europe during World War One. But she said, the ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced communist or the ardent Nazi, but the person for whom fact and fiction and truth and falsehood no longer exist. Mm. And I just think that is the most apt quote. It, you know, it, it, it encapsulates yeah, fits quite well. Fake, yeah. fake news before fake news. So I think people, you know, even myself, uh, who I would like be very critical of any news that I listen or, or watch. Uh, you know, I, I I question everything now, and sometimes you know, when you're just reading facts or, or you know engaging with them, everyone is everyone is very divided confused uh, and that you know that leads to you know kind of yeah. um as i as i said use the phrase political carnage uh mass media carnage uh, yeah it's not a good not a good state of affairs would you say that that's a, a factor of the lack of leadership that we see in the two biggest political parties and when i say a, you know a, a charismatic leadership so um, you know yeah. you have labor and you know which is which is highly uh, which is hardly challenged uh, Tory yeah. government uh, in the manner that Tory government actually has behaved over the past few years um, as we've been talking about 
Um, you know, they could have done a lot better, but they they didn't. And then yeah, after yeah. Boris Johnson, yeah. again, we see, you know, you know, one after the other contender coming up um, pretty much out of uh, woodwork here. And yet there is no one strong contender. Yeah. So, so your uh, thoughts I, I, on, I, on, on the on the on the leadership that we have, actually? Yeah, like uh, on, on your first point regarding the, the opposition, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it, like I I have never named who I, I vote for or uh, be it sure. in Ireland or, or, or the UK. Um, but I, it, it is still remains so shocking to me that Labour, with everything that has gone on in the last 12 years, let alone the last six years, that they have not taken over. It is it's it it, it, mm. it is just as shocking to me as some of the political scandals that, that that they could not harness, you know, the absurdity of what was happening um, in in the current government and harness this to gain control. You know, it it, it blows my mind politically actually. Um, but um, and there, uh, as you rightly know, a lack a, a lack of leadership. But now we're seeing you know, this long list of names come mm. out. Um, which, which you know, which is always the case um, in, in leadership contests um, in the UK. But you see more and more extreme statements being made by people, um, you know, to try and you know pander to a certain grouping or you know get a certain uh, faction of the party um, on their side. Or you see people on, you know, maybe on the left perhaps too afraid to say certain things that they believe in case they alienate some of their. Uh, more left-leaning supporters, um, you know, there's a kind of silence of political speech in the uh, in, in the, the left um, aspect as well, because people are afraid of um, quote unquote being cancelled. Mm. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I think there's a there's a strange hardening of views, but then there's also a strange silencing of views in a number of of growing issues, social issues that are changing before our eyes, and I think. A lot of people, including myself, you know, are wary about speaking out on for fear of this huge backlash that you might get. So, yeah. so do you think that that's going to lead to uh, a continuity of uh, uh, of Tory Tory governance, uh, given that there is a lack yeah. of opposition or a quality yeah. opposition? Um, yeah, I do. I, I think I think if the Tory party can. If, if they can elect someone who reflects in any way, in, well, in any respect, some kind of some kind of substantial change uh, in comparison to to Boris Johnson, someone who has a clean record regarding scandals, like we're, I'm, this is a basic, you know, there's not much the, the bar is not high here. Like, um, <laughs> just don't have a scandal, don't break international law. Don't be fined by the police. You know, like there's not yeah. much to tick the box on. Um, but I think if they have a nice, clean break, then I think the part uh, the Tories could have an absolutely huge, to use the word, um, mandate again, <laughs> like in the next in the next general election, um, because I and, and I'm, oh, I'm always open to you know proven wrong, but you know if 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 Labour have not harnessed, uh, have not harnessed, or will not harness the power of of their party, which they have not done in the last 12, 
12 years, I don't see how they're going to be able to 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 beat the Conservative if there's going to be fresh leadership. Do you think Lib Dems... Yeah, whether I like that or not, um, that's a different story. Sure. <laughs> Do you think yeah. Lib Dems are, are doing enough to uh, to capture this, this space that actually... I haven't is... heard of anyone except Labour and Tories. Exactly. We don't, yeah. see, we don't hear about them in the media at all. Yeah, and 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 they actually haven't been vocal on on this. You know, they, you're right. They, but but one of the, the key issues here is that it's just a, a numbers game as well. You know, um, they don't have the numbers that these two major opposition or like the governing and the opposition party have. Um, and then you know you have the SNP who are now engaged uh, in you know in the whole issue of. Uh, an independence hmm. referendum. Then you have. Uh, we won't get started on the DUP. We, we would hear. We would be here for days if I started talking about them. Um, but uh, you know, everyone has. The, all these other smaller parties are engaged in these. I wouldn't say niche topics, but topics that are centrally important to their uh, governing. Um, um, you know, uh, not nation, but you know, governing state at, at, at this time. So no, it's 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 a labor uh, Tory. It's going to be a labor Tory uh, I, I, again. But mm. I, I do think I do think, as I said, the bar is low if they just get someone relatively clean. And I think I think it will be a Tory. Now the the question is, who who out of these twelve? What is the twelve names by by now? Um, does actually f- tick all these boxes because some of the guests that we were talking to before we took you on, for example, Teresa was talking about this and Matt as well, is that the the legacy left behind is he he got away with so many things, and <laughs> well, if he can get away with like so many things, maybe I can get away with one or two. I don't know. Hopefully, that's not the legacy that was left behind, or that's not what in what is in people's minds, especially that political elite who is contending. But, you know, we can all hope for the best and pray for the best. Dr. Jennifer yeah. Cassidy, yeah. thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for, uh, for, me. For, for answering some of the questions. Great to have you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <clears throat> 0208687-7878 is the number for you to call. Now, uh, I have, for a little bit, for, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of moments there, I... I <laughs> I had no words. <laughs> I had no words whatsoever. And uh, I, I was I was in it was a there was a, that, that conference on freedom of religion or belief. Yeah. That was happening uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday and I think on Wednesday all of this started. And one of my friends I was with, he I was just casually walking down the road uh, mm. to the station he's like, "Yeah, did you know by the way this is happening?" I'm like, "What?" What? <laughs> and then it just kept going and going. And by the time I got home, it was it was just flooded. The news was flooded. Yeah. But it's it's is it a point of concern? Yeah, I think that's the point that I was uh, I was trying to make as well. That uh, I, I think it's uh, yes, the issue is integrity. Yes, the issue is. Um, uh, I, I I think here you know it's it it was a very simple issue of listening to uh, your your parliamentary party colleagues mm-hmm. listening to the people that that had actually elected you and hearing the voices um uh, that that were very loud and clear and saying listen Do time's right up thing, yeah. yeah time's up 
Islam sets out responsibilities both for the leaders and the people that they have to ensure peace and it is imperative that both adhere to their responsibilities. Now we often take for granted that rulers have a responsibility to us the citizens but indeed the citizens also have an unwavering responsibilities responsibility towards the ruler. In the Holy Quran we find in chapter 5 verse 9 um, that O ye who believe be steadfast in the cause of Allah bearing witness and equity and let not a people's enmity incite you to act otherwise than with justice be always just that is nearer to righteousness and fear Allah surely Allah is all aware of what you do this is a verse that His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed for example the current caliph of the Amni Muslim community and the worldwide head of the Amni Muslim community I remember he said this so many times in front of politicians in front of world leaders be it the Capitol Hill be it the European Parliament or any other parliament that he has gone through, reminding them about or of their responsibilities. And I think all of this is connected to the fact that you need to have a sense of of accountability. How far can you go in fooling the world, which we just saw can go pretty far, um, but... If you don't have that sense that you will be accounted for, you will be judged by a higher authority, by a higher power, Mm. then again, you push the boundaries as far as you can over and over and over again. What I'd say, Imam Reza, is that I think that goes for everybody, not just leaders. Not just leaders, of course. Because, you know, leaders are a reflection of the society um, they are part and parcel of yeah. the society. So, if I think the times that we are living in, and and this is not just here, by the way. I mean, you, you just uh, you just think about what's um, uh, you know we've we've had Donald Trump. You know, people have had yeah. all sorts of polarized um, uh, opinions about him. So, I mean, all across the world, and there's so many examples. So, I think yeah, it's it's the question that I would ask is you know are is there a crisis of integrity among masses in general, mm. among people in general, around the world, not just here? Because leaders is, uh, are just a reflection of uh, of the people they get elected That's from. a very interesting point. I, I do agree with this. And I think it, 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 if you look around um, and how you deal with these situations, the, the general public... Again, on, the, on that day, if I go back, and this is right between Westminster and Downing Street, hmm. people just went about their days. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they should be protesting or whatever. Hmm. This is not what I was expecting. But, you know, when you hear the news and we, when you talk and you hear people talking about what, what are the, some of the things that they're talking about, nobody was interested in that. Hmm. It was a small group, yes, they hmm. were shouting and doing whatnot. But generally speaking, it has died down. A couple of years ago, I do remember, even amongst the youngsters, the the, the youth, you had these discussions. I tried to start these discussions a few times. The, the general the, apathy the, now. Yeah, apathy, yeah. yeah. That's probably a good word. Our next guest for today is a writer and a language consultant at King's College London. Tony Thorne is with us on the line. Thorne, Tony, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Good afternoon. Good to have you on. Um, now, the question that we've been talking about, and uh, Daniel just mentioned this as well, 
How important is honesty in building integrity in politics? And do you see it? When uh, when was a time where we could maybe learn a lesson? Well, I think those are, for obvious reasons, they've become very difficult questions because I think we've all, uh, in the past, possibly naively, expected or hoped for honesty and integrity from the people who lead us, the people who dictate what happens to us. And I think, I, I'm very old, I'm a baby boomer, I can still remember a lot of previous regimes in this country, and I think there used to be a broad consensus, a broad, even, uh, you know, a, a sort of consensus on what was right and wrong, mm. and what political governance and its responsibility stood for, even if this was un largely unspoken, and that may be a problem. But I think that that's been eroded. Margaret Thatcher probably broke the social contract, but she didn't end completely the idea of consensus so that, so that the left could sometimes agree with the right and that people, politicians, should negotiate with one another rather than simply encourage dissent. So I think we have been moving. I mean, I, this is seen from my long-term perspective as someone who's old. I think we've been moving, uh, looking back inexorably, towards a much more desperate situation in which, um, in which first of all, Donald Trump, then um, using the same playbook and influenced by him, Boris Johnson, have brought us to, to a situation in which uh, honesty and integrity sound they sound like pompous abstracts they don't sound like words that we can see evidence mm. political behavior at the moment and um i hope i'm not exaggerating but i think that what's happened what has happened in the last week is simply that this has come to a head and what it, what fascinates me at the moment is it's being talked about in dramatic terms for the first time in other words the the, the lack of honesty and integrity is being called out mm. and it hasn't been called out before and this is something again that's astonished me that we've we've had a slide into this situation this moral vacuum um, at the center of government and and the, the slide has not really been commented upon tracked or I've tried to track it I study the language of politics the messaging and I've tried to and I, I've recorded the language they've used the way they've used language to manipulate voters um, but in in other senses th there's been no deep political analysis of what they've done or I think proper criticism or scrutiny by the media of what they've done and that's how we've got where we are. Tony, would you agree that the standards of honesty and integrity have eroded over the past few decades in in society at large? Yes, uh, I think uh, I think there are also. It's very difficult. I, I, I and other people from completely different backgrounds, I think, sometimes have tried to analyse these these currents in society, currents in uh, changing currents in political philosophy, political thought, but also in popular culture. And people talk about, you know, reality TV and the internet, and they talk about technology. And I think all of those big things have served to change the way society works 
and the way society sees itself. And I think one of the things, that this, it's very complicated to unpack, but I think one thing that constantly strikes me, way back in the 60s, there was a small group of anarchists called the Situationists in France, and they criticized capitalism, but they criticized it from a particular standpoint. They said that capitalism... Um, creates a society of spectacle, the society of the spectacle, and that it uses the media and entertainment, television, the press, fiction, to hypnotize the people and to stop people being able to think or act. And I think that there is a, again, I hope I don't sound as if I'm exaggerating, but I think there's a way in which the rise of reality TV, the pervasiveness of the internet hasn't made people more intelligent. It hasn't actually empowered them in some ways. It, it, you, could, you could see it in the obverse that it's, it's hypnotized people and that they believe what they see on television. For example, the cult of celebrity. The cult of celebrity is what brought Donald Trump to power mm. and it's what brought um, Boris Johnson to power. He was, he was always a celebrity and never a politician, never a professional politician, had no track record in politics and had a very poor track record in, in, in work in general, in, 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 in his integrity and in his jobs in general. And absolutely, like Trump, no management experience at all. Merely, merely a certain amount of wealth and entitlement. So I think we, uh, I hope these things don't sound too abstract, but I think it's not just about the mechanics of politics or voting patterns. It's about very, very deep-seated cultural, cultural realities, if you like. Tony, what core values and you know, are are integral in British politics, given that we still do not have a written constitution? Um, I think the problem is that there is no easy way for anybody to identify them, because there uh, one 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 good way of looking at it, which I, you referred to earlier is the um, Committee of Standards in Public Life, which was set up by John Major in 1994. And the, they embraced and publicized what they called the Nolan Principles under the Lord Nolan was the first chairman of this body. It's an advisory body. It has no power at all. It was set up by John Major to advise the government on morality and integrity and they detailed some of the some of these qualities which they thought politicians must embrace selflessness integrity objectivity accountability openness honesty and leadership and i think that's a very good list of what we should expect from politicians but there is no way at present in british politics there's no mechanism whereby this can be in, enforced and you've seen with Boris Johnson himself appointed, appoints an ethics advisor, but then, then ignores and subverts the ethics advisor, who then resigns in, in, in shame and <laughs> disapproval. So the, the problem is we, could, we can identify the qualities that we want to see in leadership, government, and politics, but there is no way of enforcing them or ensuring them. Tony, the, the values that you just talked about, uh, selflessness, honesty, integrity, yeah. um, do you know of uh, 
uh, of any politician uh, in the list uh, in the leadership contest at the moment who who would be selfless would would express these qualities or 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 do you think um espouse them uh, the only ones that I can think I'm not an expert on Tory politicians I've never voted Tory uh, um uh, but I, from my from my communications with them, and I have communicated with a few of them, I would think that only Tom Tugendhat and um, Rory Stewart. Uh, I don't think Dominic Grieve is in the running, um, but I think those are the only two who might possibly espouse some of these qualities. Uh, the others, either I don't know about or I consider them completely unsuited to high office. Uh, selflessness uh, as a value, I mean, it's, it's a great word and it's a great value, but do you think that's, that's even relevant in politics these days? I like, think so, because, um, if, again, I mean, we're, we're all enjoying condemning Boris Johnson. We perhaps <laughs> should have done it. A, lot, a long time ago, but one of the things that I've seen repeated again and again and again, that Johnson's motivation is self, uh, self-promotion mm-hmm. and, and selfish, if you like, selfish goals in general. So selflessness is something which one would never associate with him or, or his associates, I think, mm-hmm. neither with Donald Trump. So I think it is. I think it's a hugely important quality that um, that a leader can put aside their selfish desires and requirements, and and to, if necessary, you know, sacrifice those. Um, it sounds. This all sounds terribly idealistic because it hasn't happened for quite a long time. But again, I'm sorry. I, I will be controversial. D- um, Jeremy Corbyn was was suffered a character assassination, and mm. I don't vote Labour either. I'm not mm. a Corbynite, but he suffered a, a very clumsy set of smears and character assassination was lied about, traduced, and and was really excluded and and shut out of politics mm-hmm. and expelled from the Labour Party. But he's one of the few politicians, I think, who has a track record in in uh, in in selflessness, if you like. Mm-hmm. Putting, his, putting the causes he believed in above his immediate personal interests and desires. Now, again, as I say, I'm not, I'm not part of a cult of Jeremy Corbyn, but when you do get a politician who has a, that sort of charisma, which is closer to sort of a moral authority, if you like, yeah. and, a, and a long way from the kind of charisma that brutal leadership demands, perhaps, and that was perhaps a problem. But when you do get a politician like that, um, making some headroads in public life, they're shut down and they're shut out. So what does that tell you about British politics then, or, 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 <laughs> or politics in general? I'm not. I'm not an ex. I'm not a political expert at all. So I'm. I'm standing from a on the sidelines, <laughs> looking on. Uh, and you, maybe that's all we need these days. Yes, isn't absolutely. It? <laughs> you are a voter, I would imagine, right? It's a, it's, sorry, you are a voter, and you, you know, you, you would think about these things. So I as vote, a, as, I, I try to be a good citizen, and I vote. Yeah. exactly. So, 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 as a as a good uh, Samaritan, as a good citizen, what? What are your thoughts on the current state of uh, the, um, the, uh, the band of politicians we're getting? 
Well, look, can I say, uh, I, this is absolutely a personal, I'm talking about my personal views, sure. not my colleagues' views and not, not linguistic theory or any of the things that I work with. These are just my personal opinions. But I think, what I th certain things I think have to happen before we can sort this mess out in, in British politics. One is, I think, our whole, uh, that, that we, sh we must introduce proportional representation so that... Mm. Voting and, and the relationship between votes and constituencies is more equitable and fair. When that happens, if it happens, we're more likely to get more coalition governments like they have in other European countries. And that would be a good thing because it does tend to limit the ability of, of extremist hijacking. It hasn't, hasn't prevented it everywhere, of course. But So a proportional representation, reform the voting system, reform the, the constituency boundaries, that's one thing. I think the other thing that has to happen is that the, the parties in the centre and on the left must come to some sort of accord and stop refusing the Labour Party and the reason I haven't voted for them is that they're into, they've always been into factionalism they've always refused to go into partnership with other parties, the Liberal Democrats the Greens um, who might have actually something usefully in common with them I think there should be an alliance of the centre and the left um, in order, to, because we've got a very strong, uh, not just right-wing politics in our country, but I think a very conservative population with very conservative ideas and who, who have been brought up on Thatcherite ideas of, of, <laughs> of wealth, materialism and, and self-advancement. So I think we, we need an alliance on the left that can try to mm. change that. But this, is a, this is only my own very naive, you can yeah. hear, very naive <laughs> Um, opinions. It, I can't see much chance of it happening. Yeah. Because if it did, everybody would be voting for the Liberal Democrats. And the Liberal <laughs> Democrats, when they had a chance at power, simply sold themselves. <laughs> and and, and by doing it, thereby seemed to have ruled themselves out. Tony, I want to ask you um, about the government being established to serve the people. If you hear phrases like, let's restore trust, rebuild the economy and reunite the country and then if you look at the picture of a person who you know combined with his wife is worth 730 million pounds what what how much of that slogan how much of that message do you think people people take on well i i think that wealth and entitlement doesn't help obviously um, and, and living in extreme comfort doesn't help um, probably people to empathize with those who are not so well off. But I don't think we should condemn um, anybody, Rishi Sunak or anybody else, for being rich. No, of course it, not. No. It, does, it, it happens in a capitalist society. <laughs> There are there are rich philanthropists who who are still capable of doing good work, so I think it's more a structural problem. I mean, the, the, than than looking at individuals and judging them on the basis of their their assets, but uh, and and of course, Rishi Sunak should have been um, a capable <laughs> should have been a capable um, financial minister or chancellor of the exchequer because he does at least understand speculation, hedge funds, banking. And, and the creation of wealth. But 
it, it didn't seem to translate into a very ready understanding of of the needs of of the much worse off. So, but, but I mean, I think he's still in the running. He's an interesting character. Uh, he has some expertise, unlike many of the cabinet. And Johnson himself had no expertise in management or government or making plans or seeing plans through or making projects work of any kind. And they should never have been in office. Tony, very, very interesting to, to talk to you. Writer and language consultant at King's College London, Tony Thorne, with us on the line. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. If you want to send us a tweet, you can do so at Voice of Islam UK. And if you want to send us a comment on Instagram, we're asking you, what is your view on the current political situation here in the UK? This list that uh, Tony gave, uh, the list of values, mm. selflessness, honesty, integrity, a few more as well. I guess. We should ask people on the street what they think about this. Exactly. And, and give them three, four options that how, who do you think displays these characteristics? A lawyer, a politician, a judge, or I don't know, like a radio presenter, maybe? <laughs> Correct. But but I you know going back to my earlier point, uh, brother, I would perhaps even ask them, uh, perhaps ask them also the question: hmm. Do you espouse these values, people, the person on the street? Yeah. How many people on the street actually think that they are selfless and they are honest and and they really hold uh, integrity and the other values. I think, look, before I answer this, one thing I want to make clear is to all of the listeners out there, we are not affiliated with any political party. It, if you, yeah. if it seems to you this way, that there's a bashing going on, or, we, you know, this is not the case. Voice of Islam has always been about... Uh, justice about fairness. This is something that His Holiness has mentioned over and over again, and we 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 stand to that to the letter and spirit that it it needs to be fair. It needs to be balanced. Um, it needs to be you know you need to have integrity, honesty, and truthfulness. The the the, the example that Tony gave hmm. of um, was it um, Jeremy Jeremy Corbyn? Hmm. I think that w- when this happened, I I thought about this. Um, maybe it was just me, but the, from the things that he was saying, it resonated with the average Joe. It resonated with someone on the street. It resonated with someone who, the majority of of the of, of the public. What happened? He mm. shut out of politics. Exactly. Said, yeah. So, and and was there an outcry? Was there any any kind of follow up from no. that from the public saying that? And even within his own party, mm. within his own ranks. There so wasn't. that's the point that I'm making. There yes. is no place for people like that exactly. anymore. And if you don't have a generation, if you don't have people growing up with these values, mm. who, not just growing up, I believe, look, we, I think we all have these values within us. Mm. How much of those values we show and how much we stand up for those values, that's a different question. So if you have those values and you, you, mm. you stick to those values... And we as parents give those values to the next generation as members of the society. We aspire to those values and we make sure that everybody around us also f- tries to follow them because we do that. Then it will go up to the top. But if, if, if as you said, I couldn't agree with you more. If it's not there in the public, if exactly. the majority of the people are yeah. not like that... Mm. 
Lidt så nok. How can we? They're not going to fall from sky. And we're not. How, yeah. how can we expect them to be like this? Right? The Holy Quran says that. Why do you say or expect things that you don't do yourself? You don't have that. It's it's, it's hypocritical. Exactly. You can't really do anything about that. Now, um, we're going to touch a little bit upon, as we said, if we look at the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, we 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 find that these these teachings that he gave about honesty, integrity, fairness, justice, um, and 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 being just in in every matter when it comes to your own person, when it comes to the people that you know, when it comes to the people that you don't know, something that we've seen in the last couple of months and weeks, and the things that have been highlighted now that uh, personal favors were done, that contracts were handed out, which included taxpayers' money uh, based on friendship, based on you know acquaintances, if you can say that, but. How much of that was done, you know, with 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 justice and with fairness? When you look at, for example, the 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 uh, the, the life of of Caliph Omar, for example, mm. we've spoken about that so many times here. Mm. What kind of leader was he? How much did he care for for the poor, and how much did he try to change himself? How much of that burden did he put on himself mm. in order for him to change the situation? Absolutely. I mean, they, this, that's the kind of leader I think the world desperately needs today. Isn't he known for for saying that even if a dog dies yeah. somewhere within his range, Euphrates, yeah, yeah, exactly, on the banks of Euphrates, he would. He's he, he's responsible. Omar, you are responsible. Exactly. For that. He he will hold himself responsible. Who would who would espouse those kind of values uh, today? And and. And and that's what the world desperately needs. I mean, and we talk of selflessness. Is it, selflessness. Is, is, it, is it too much to ask? Yeah, probably. Is it too much to ask? Yeah, I mean, exactly. go back. Uh, and this is the question mm. that I was trying to ask Tony as well. That, okay, we've seen this age. Let's say the last 20, in my age, 25 years, where I actively know that this is what's happening in politics. This is what these people are stand for. A little bit. Again, I'm not a political expert here. But was there a time where you had these ideal situations, these these politicians who stood up for what is right, and not just for one aspect, not just for the selflessness aspect, but also for integrity, truthfulness, justice, fairness, the whole package? I have yet to come across one. Not in the usual band of uh, yeah, uh, yeah. of leaders, but um, I, I would dare say um, that there there is one person who espouses, still espouses all of these values um, of selflessness, of uh, integrity, of honesty, uh, of uh, trying to help anybody and everybody, irrespective of the race, um, caste and creed. And that's His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed. I mean, yeah, if if somebody listening to the radio doubts what I'm saying, just just look at his profile, just look at what he's, he's done over the last 20 years. Our next guest for today is an economist specializing in inflation and monetary economics uh, and no stranger to the draft, I'm sure, at least. Uh, Sean Richards is with us on the line. Sean, good afternoon. Peace upon you. And thank you very much for joining us today on the draft, I'm sure. Pleasure. Good afternoon to you all. Given the current political situation, how do you feel about Rishi's resignation? Uh, as we are almost there to see the outcome of you know his economic policies, which he introduced during covid well, the problem that I have with Rishi Sunak was, if we look at the economics, 
with his national insurance rise in April. Um, this was a, what I could call a traditional deep state policy. What do I mean? When you have a slowdown, the Treasury is then always thinking of a way it can get more taxes in. The problem with it is that the economy was growing in terms of tax revenue, and that particularly now, as it turns out, that the tax revenue would have been added to by the inflation we're seeing, for example, things like value-added tax, the revenue would be a lot higher, prices are higher, therefore their share will be higher. So that was a clear mistake. I called that a sort of Sunak error. Now, how much of that was his own thinking, I don't know. But as I was just explaining, it is a traditional Treasury policy, so I fear that the sort of mandarins got to him. And that, that's a problem he's going to have, because, of course, he started in the pandemic with giving money away, and then by taking a lot less back, it sort of brought us back a bit to square one. So the economics of him as Chancellor was rather patchy, I'm afraid. That's his problem going forwards, in my opinion. Sean, if I can uh, ask you to uh, comment on, on, a, on the slight, um, slightly on the macro picture here. So UK economy is expected to uh, grow at uh, the slowest rate among um, many of the uh, the developed world economies, uh, including uh, many of our partners uh, here in Europe. Uh, one, well, actually, more than one um, surveys done by the government before Brexit actually did suggest that there will be a slowdown in the economy or the economy will actually grow at a much slower, slower rate post-Brexit. Would you, would, you, would you say, looking back, that... Uh, that Brexit has had some role to play in the slowdown that we are now experiencing or about to experience? Um, not really. And I would go back to your original statement when you say some say it will be slower. That's the OECD. And they're not very good at this. And I'm afraid these organisations get the answers to their surveys that they want. They don't like the concept of Brexit and therefore they'll mark it down. For example, last year they marked the economy, excuse me, UK economic growth down, and I think they were wrong by about two percent. So it, it, that's an issue. If we look around, lots of countries are facing very similar problems, which goes as follows. And this is something that people have heard me on here before say: the high inflation means that real wages are lower. Now, roughly, that's about a four percent, maybe five percent fall this year. I think. And that's pretty much true wherever I look. That's not a Brexit issue. People that follow economics, I know they'll have seen others argue at the minute that inflation's higher because of Brexit. I don't see where they get that from. If we look back to take the second part of your question, there was an impact in 2016. I looked at the measure that people may recall that the pound fell. And that probably raised inflation by one and a half percent. So that was a bad influence in um, late 2016, early 2017. But that's quite a few years ago now. You know, and obviously there's particular issues from time to time, like the troubles that are around Northern Ireland. Hmm. But, but in general, I think there are a lot bigger fish to fry, the inflation issue, hmm. cost of living crisis. And these are generics. Um, for example, today we've had the big employment figures, people call it non-farm payrolls from the United States. And what I took from that was that wages growth was just over 5% annually. Mm. 
But they like us, if we do a like-for-like measure, have inflation over 9%. So again, a 4% fall. That's the problem for economies this year, that wages are falling. What impact do you think, Sean, uh, the political uh, instability we're experiencing in UK at the moment will have on the economy? Well, I think in certain things, obviously there'll be a lack of planning. But then we've suffered from this for quite a long time. For example, the energy problems that we're facing are partly, well, some of the wrong decisions, but also the fact that there hasn't been long-term planning. Now, for example, I'm not a great fan of nuclear power, but I think presently on the list of choices we have, we don't have any. But the thing is that we haven't properly ordered reactors for 15, 20 years. So I'm going across governments of all hues now, because obviously we had conservative ones, we had the um, Lib Dems in power with them, and, and Labour before that. So there are there are issues from that, and it, in the short term, not much will happen. I can give you a more hopeful spin on that, though, <laughs> because a few years ago, Belgium had no government and did really well. It was the best bill Belgium had for a while, and I mean, they didn't have a government for about 18 months, so maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> Uh, Sean, last time we spoke to you, you mentioned, and, and again, <laughs> wasn't that optimistic either, that we exhausted the easy solutions, now we have to make the harder ones to save the economy. At this moment, are we really running out of time? And, and in, in this whole situation that we're in at the moment, politically speaking, is the economic downfall a priority right now? Yeah, I, I think so, because back to what I was saying then, what a my point was that we sort of had the thing of how far we can reduce interest rates to some extent because we've basically taken them almost to zero and now look at the struggles we're getting having them get up you know it's only now one and a quarter and they raise a bit more um how far is that going to go without the economy squeezing down again that's the point that i meant not necessarily please don't misunderstand me i don't want people that have mortgages to be paying <laughs> high rates but you need a balance savers need a return to loan people the money and those on the other side need to pay some idea of a fair amount and yet we kept going and this is boring from the future by taking everything cheaper well you can't go on forever can you you end up like you're with negative interest rates Mm. and then what does everyone do because someone has some savings somewhere and then at the end of the year they've lost two percent of it how does that work so that, that that was my point that we sort of taken a lot of the um, easy answers to things, but in a way we've put more difficult ones away. So let me give you another example of that. If you keep having that and say negative interest rates, how do people save for a pension? Because they'd be losing each year. Mm. You know, so there are genuine issues. And also, another example, something that's a real pet belief of mine, which is that we've driven house prices too high. Yeah. Now, I don't know where you guys live. I'll open people listening. I live in Battersea. And around here, my younger friends can't afford anything. Some of them, you know, two couple, a couple of two, excuse me, have professional jobs. But there's still no way, even on that, that there's anywhere near buying anything. Hmm. People can't and even afford just... to drive into Battersea right now because of the, <laughs> well, the yeah. US. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. 
Very interesting. Sean, we're going to come back to you because I know in the next couple of days, I believe, we're talking about the inflation and I'm sure that uh, we'd love to value your opinion on this. Sean Richards, econ- economist specializing in inflation and monetary economics. Thank you so much for your time, Sean. As always, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Have a good afternoon. You too. 0208-687-7878. What do you make out of this current political situation? What is your view on the current political situation? Are you worried? Are you not worried? And I would like to know as well, who is your favorite at the moment? Because... They're all putting their videos online now, eh? Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's go straight to our next guest for today. He's an international journalist, and Alexander Seal is with us on the line. Uh, good afternoon. Peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show, Alex. Good afternoon. Thank you. Alexander, um, Boris believes he was always seen as a playful politician before he became prime minister. Do you think that this made him more relatable to the people and worked in his favor, that breath of fresh air, the the jollyful, playful PM? Well, for an international uh, public, uh, he was seen as a clown, like for people in <laughs> France and in Belgium. And uh, but for people living in Britain, I think they... Um, I heard people saying that they voted for him because he was uh, a man of the people. He he drank uh, beer in pubs with with, with, with uh, people who voted for him. But um, that's not how a politician should be. Mm. Um, because Boris Johnson, of course, he's a conservative, but he is he was acting like a populist. He. Um, he uh, took the UK out of the EU. He broke rules. Uh, he lied about Brexit, and um, he uh, and uh, he didn't get along with Europe and the Europeans. And so uh, there is there was a division between uh, Europe and uh, and the UK. And um, yesterday we saw Michel Barnier the uh, Brexit negotiator saying that Boris Johnson's resignation will um, change the relationship between the UK and the EU. And the former um, uh, Europe uh, minister, French Europe minister, said Boris Johnson's resignation will will now uh, cause, um, will heal Europe and the UK it won't cause division. Mm. So um, I think it's uh, his resignation. I think it's a good thing, but um, one shouldn't. Uh, of course, he seduced uh, Boris Johnson. Seduced his, uh, the electorate by being joyful and then making jokes and sometimes silly jokes. But uh, he he didn't really act. Seriously, there is a cost of living, there is a problem with the economy, and he didn't do uh, 50% of the job. Would you give him credit for um, for the response to, um, for the vaccination program, for example, for the economic packages that he gave uh, during the pandemic? So he did, he did a f- do a few of those things. Do you think that that could be his legacy? I think, um, well, 
the vaccination program worked well in the UK compared to other European uh, countries. And so, but I wouldn't say that would be his legacy because uh, if you look at his COVID strategy, he acted late. Uh, uh, lots of people died during the pandemic and he didn't know how to take decisions. He took the wrong decisions sometimes. He, um, uh, and uh, when people couldn't go to funerals and, uh, and see their friends and families and, and uh, sit on park benches, people at Downing Street parties. So, the, uh, so there is one rule for the people and one rule for the politicians. So, of course, uh, there was the vaccination uh, program uh, that worked that worked well, but his legacy on COVID was a disaster. When people like Michelle Barnier uh, talk about healing and, and other leaders have been talking about that as well, is there in in Europe, uh, a, a, in the continent in general, a hope against hope that uh, that UK will come back into the EU? I don't think there is a hope that the UK will come back to the EU, but um, uh, during the G7 meeting recently in Germany. Uh, I think Emmanuel Macron, the French president, hinted that he would like the UK to become a part of a club um, of European countries that could decide on defense and, and, other, um, and other international uh, problems. And, uh, uh, and I think Boris Johnson wanted that. And so and it's now up to another leader, another um, prime minister, to uh, to do that. And I think uh, Britain needs a, a prime minister who who can uh, heal the UK and and Europe, uh, and uh, and have close ties with with the European Union, and uh, have close trade deals with the European Union too, because. Um, and I think maybe in some future, maybe in some Labour government, or um, we might uh, see the UK rejoining the EU in some form or another, but not now. Hmm. Alex, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Uh, An international journalist, Alexandra Seal, with us on the line. Thank you very much for your time, sir. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, that brings us almost to the end of today's show. A lot of things have been said. A lot of things are still in the making. Um, you will, well, we will find out. I, I think actually more <clears throat> what is going to happen in the next couple of days, but uh, it, the developments are, are ongoing. Right now, the newest uh, or the latest news that you've heard at the five o'clock news as well is that Rishi Sunak has also put his hat in the race for contending to be the new Labour leader as well as the next Prime Minister, maybe. Yeah. So right. Uh, do you have any plans to do that? Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try. Um, I guess since so many people are raising their hands, <laughs> throwing their hats in, why, why not you? You uh, have a hat. Uh, I, well, I have a German hat. 
I don't think they want <laughs> that's gonna happen. You won't be welcome then. No, Sorry. I think I'm yeah. good with this. I, 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 I'll I, take that back. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a question. We should ask how many of you would like to go into politics. I don't know. Okay, now, uh, just at the end, I think we were just talking before we took on Alex. Um, you were talking about th- these qualities that we need to have and that we are looking for in, in, in the next leadership. I think one thing that I've said in the beginning as well, that this is not about um, schadenfreude. Yeah, it's it's that's I think that's the the most fitting word here. It's not about making fun or being happy. And uh, Teresa mentioned this uh, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. about oh now he's out and this is what happened. No, it's not about this. We we are suffering as a country. Yeah. Alex was talking about the pol- the international political stage. The leader of the country does represent the country. So you and I, if we don't have that representation then we're all suffering as a country. And right now we know that there are things to be done urgently yeah. uh, for the people on the streets, for the people living in this country that need urgent tackling of these issues. So we can only hope, we can pray, we can do our bit to hold these MPs accountable, to hold our government accountable. And that's something within the law we can do. And yeah. we're fortunate enough to have this this right and this freedom in this country. Absolutely, yeah, and um, you're right. This is um, uh, that is a right that we m- must all exercise. But I guess uh, you know that right we will be able to exercise much better if we um, begin to act yes. with integrity and honesty in our own lives. Perfectly said. Very well. Thank you very much to Faisal Mirza, Arsha Nasim, Sana Nadim, and Maliha Shazad for uh, producing and researching today's program. We want to thank all of our guests for today as well. Matt Carr, Teresa Murray, J- Dr. Jennifer Cassidy, Tony Thorne, Alexander Seal, and Sean Richards for the wonderful conversations and answers that we've had with them. Thank you very much to you as well for listening to today's program. If you want to go back to listen to any of the episodes of The Drive Time Show or any Voice of Sound program, go to SoundCloud and search for Voice of Sound Radio tomorrow morning. SML is going to be with you at 10 a.m. And we're going to be back with you on Monday, inshallah. And for our Muslim listeners out there, we wish you a very, very happy Eid Mubarak as well because that's going to be celebrated on the weekend. From all of us, Assalamu alaikum.